Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So, uh, yeah, I want to duck up. <laughs> Wrong one, boys. That's later. <laughs> okay. Once upon a time, there was a duck in a pool. No. With sunglasses, yeah. You know, today's Torah portion, uh, I want to uh, back up a little bit. Dorothy gives a good uh, synopsis of, the, of it and actually gave a good outline of my sermon. But for that matter, I guess great minds think alike. Okay. Um, you know, Moses is giving a discourse to the children of Israel who have not, uh, who were not at Sinai and with whom the covenant was not directly made. And yet Moses reminds them that indeed God did make the covenant with them at Sinai. And this has been an understanding of the Jewish people ever since Sinai happened, that all of us were there. Whether we think we were there or not, we're there. I heard one fellow say, this is why when Jews meet each other, they say, gee, don't know I know you? The answer is yes. We were at Sinai together. Yeah, we just don't remember. And Moses is reminding them about all those things which God did. As uh, David instructed the children about trust, that was what Moses was helping that young generation understand, that God was indeed quite trustworthy because he had done everything that he had said he would do for the children of Israel all through those years. When this group were growing up, they started out as little children, now they're grown people, ready to take on the responsibilities of the people of Israel. So that Canaan is one of the most important parsha in probably all of Torah. Because in it, we hear of all kinds of great things. This is obviously a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. That happens in chapter 5. In chapter 6, we have the Shema. But a major theme of this portion is warning. It's a warning to the young people as they get ready to enter into the land that there are dangers lurking Wait, just waiting for them. And I want to talk a little bit about those dangers today and because we face them ourselves all the time. So we live in a, we live in a world, you know, where things are particularly, you know, all kinds of ideas are floating around. Not only that, but we have the means through the Internet and all these other ways of transmitting ideas to anybody anywhere in the world. Right now, if I grab my phone, I could put something on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter or something like that, and not that that many people follow me, but, you know, literally, it could go flashing around the world uh, in moments and seconds. Everybody gets it. And another phenomenon of our age is that everybody has an idea of their own, and everybody's idea is worthy of other people knowing about it which I find absurd, personally. You know, I have a thought. Everybody should know what that thought is. Oh, yeah, you know, that's good. No, keep it to yourself. That's good. That's good. But, it's, but, there, but there are dangers lurking in all of that. 
that we have to understand and be able to comprehend and deal with. Another marvelous thought that, that Dorothy came is, why did God not give us free will? He wanted to teach us how to do what is right. That's what he wants. He wants us to know what is right because he wants us to be sentient, intelligent, and able to imitate him. Imitate him and not others, not other things. You know, in the last few weeks, lots of things have happened in our culture and our society. They continue to happen all the time. And we all sit, you know, many of us bemoan the fate of our world as we feel it's just, you know, we're losing control of it or whatever, or these, all these ideas that fly around in the world, and we wonder what in the world is the problem? What's causing all of this? So I want to just take a look at a scripture with you just for a moment before we get back into Vietnam for the solution. So... In this portion, this is from Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. I have up on the board, but I may read a little bit more. We wonder what the problem is in our world. We always want to point to symptoms of evil in the world. Oh, we have too much war. You know, we worry about the issues of sexual identity, all kinds of other things that you know, just come up and we wonder about them. What, what is right and what is just and why things are the way they are. Well, Paul the Apostle helps us to understand that. And I want you to understand that this is the problem, not those things that, ma that manifest like a symptom of a disease. There's a disease uh, and you have all these symptoms. You have uh, cancer and you have pain. Pain is not the problem. You've got to get to the root of the problem, right? So let's look at the root of the problem. So Paul, in Romans chapter, chapter 1, he gives us that. He says, I started in 20, so it says, in verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, his, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, that's the problem. The problem is, is that the world, even though it has clear and unambiguous evidence of God, and I say unambiguous freely, nevertheless will not acknowledge that. They will not acknowledge that. The, the great scientists who discover some mathematical formula that really clarifies how the, world, how the universe works and the physical laws of the universe doesn't sit back and say, God, that was really cool how you did that. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, oh, look how great I am. I found that out. And that's the problem. That's the problem that God is identifying for the children of Israel in the desert as they await entering the promised land. They say, he says, here's the problem. The problem is the land in which you are going to is an idolatrous land. That's why I'm getting rid of them. You see, we always think, well, God always had that little strip of land in mind for the Jewish people. Maybe he did. 
That's certainly our theory about things, because that was the land given to Shem, the son of Noah. And these people who came, the Hivites and, uh, and, uh, and Jebusites and all those came from other lands, from the lands of Japheth, and took it away. So they were the first invaders. But let's say this. Why is God booting them from the land? Because he wants to clean it up so the Israelites can get it back? Like some kind of, you know, he's the UN and he's, he's reapportioning it? No. They are idol worshippers. And by the way, if you ever study their religion, you'll know exactly why God didn't want them. That's brutal, horrible. I was going to read you a quotation from one of their poems, but I decided that this is a G-rated uh, sermon. I mean, that's how bad it is. So, he says, as it says here, They've been clearly made. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, when I decide that I get credit for what God has done, my heart is darkened. Because that's not the way it really is. And then I think, gee, I can do anything. I can do anything I want. I am the creator and where are we? Where are we back? We're back in the garden with that same old stupid sin that caused the problem in the first place. Oh, I can be like God. I can do, I don't need him. That's exactly what happened. So he says, so Paul says here, he says, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That might be my second slide. Right. You see how it goes? We start thinking, our, we don't give credit to God for those things for which he, he deserves the credit. We start thinking of ourselves as greater than the creation, the creator. The creation is better than the creator. I don't need a God. I created myself. And then what happens? So, God says, okay, you think you know how to do this? You think you really understand? Go. And where does it lead? It leads to everything else that he says down below there. Don't focus on any one thing. You know, we have a tendency, oh, you know, people, people of faith often, oh, see, they, oh, they're talking about gay people. No, it's not. Keep going. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Any of those describe any of your characteristics? Just as bad as the ones above. Let's not privilege any one thing. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. But what, then, is the answer? You see, how can we heal a world that has so distorted the image of God? That's what the problem is. The problem is the image of God is distorted in the world. God is a punchline in this planet. Not, a, not, not you know, no less Yeshua. It's a punchline. And we've got to change that. 
because without them, there is no world. Without them, as Dorothy taught us, we will all be zombies in the end. So, what do we need to understand? So, you know, it's no wonder God warns the children of Israel against idolatry in such stern terms. He says, listen, if you hate me, don't worry, I'm going to come right to your face with it. Right? You're going to have to confront me face to face. I know I can make my way over there. He says, uh, Uh, let's see where it says. Whoa. Lost my place. So give me a second. Okay. Here it is. He says, Though therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their face. He's so strong in his understanding because he understands that idolatry, idolatry, idolatry is what's wrong with the world. Not all of these symptoms that you see. Idolatry. We've abandoned God, and he lets us run it right into the ground so he can come in and rescue the day in the end. What can we, those who love God, do about it? Well, the thing is, we have to know who God is. He says, he reminds Moses, or Moses reminds the Israelites this. He says this to them in this portion. He says, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean? which the Lord our God commanded you. Then you shall say that to your son, we were slaves in Pharaoh, to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Anybody know what, how often we do that passage and where we do it? Passover, right? And what are we supposed to do with Passover? Then we're supposed to spend the rest of the night talking about how God did that. How God rescued us from Egypt and did all those magnificent wonders and took us through the Red Sea and brought us to Sinai and gave us the Torah. How he rescued us and made us into his special people in the world so that we could be the first spark of holiness in the world to make the whole world holy. That's our job. To make everything in life holy. That's the job. And maybe from us it will spread out into the world and make the world holy one day. We know, of course, that Messiah will complete the job. But that doesn't mean that we are free not to do it. So let's remember some things about God which will help us to remember. <laughs> okay? The first one, he tells us who the Lord our God is. First is, Ki Adonai Eloheka Esh Okla. Esh Okla. He is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. 
See, I think sometimes we get too friendly with God, even me, you know. I mean, we all, we all love God and we all want to be chummy. But we forget who God is. It tells us in the story that uh, the children of Israel at, the, at Sinai were so afraid after God issued the first two commands, two commandments, and they came out as fire from the, from, the, from the mountain, that the people were afraid. And they backed off. They said, Moses, listen, you talk to God, and then we'll hear from you. It was too much for them. And so they needed Moses to intercede for them to receive the other commandments and the rest of the Torah from the Lord. God is a consuming fire. Eshoklah. A consuming fire. And we should remember that and be afraid. You know, not afraid. Fear. The scripture says, fear the Lord. It says it many, many times. But that fear of the Lord is one in which we respect who he is. You can love your father, but hopefully respect him too. Right? And without it, you know, all of a sudden the order of life starts to cave down around us. And that's one of the problems. And it also says, he is who el kanah. He is a jealous God. A jealous God. And remember, I think we talked about jealous versus envy. That jealousy means to be passionate and possessive of that which belongs to you. It belongs to you. And no, no one else should have it. And so God is a jealous God for those who are his own. And this world belongs to the Lord. He says in, a, in one other place, all the earth is mine. And we need to recognize that. Remember who God is in our life. But we're fortunate. See, ki el rachum Adonai Eloheka. He is a compassionate God. A compassionate God. You know, this week, uh, we begin the readings of consolation. The first one you, re- you heard read today, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. For the past three weeks, we've been reading uh, the Haftarot of admonition, those of judgment, because our, our people sinned. What was the sin? Idolatry. That's why we were kicked out of, uh, out of the land to begin with. Idolatry. No other sin. There were lots of other things going wrong. But you see what happened? All those other things that went wrong, the injustices, the murder, all the other things, the evils that were going on in the, in the land, were the result of idolatry. Had the people kept their focus on the one true God, none of those other things, justice would have reigned in the land. None of those other things would have happened. And they would have never been expelled from the land a warning for our people today. Don't think so much of yourselves that God won't throw you out again. Go ahead and be idol worshipers and see where it gets you. But we have a compassionate God. Because after those three, uh, three uh, readings of admonition leading up to the ninth of Av and our, and our time, that day of destruction, we have the compassion of God. Nakamu, nakamu ami. Your sin is paid for. Well, who paid for the sin? 
We read about the Messiah today who rose from the dead in order to pay for that. And maybe that's why we won't get kicked out of the land again. Because the compassion of God reigns through Messiah Yeshua, who is our intercessor, who does speak for us. Moses was a servant, but Yeshua is a son. The son is, sits at the right hand of the father. Moses may have a seat in the front row, but he doesn't sit at the right hand of the Lord. So we are lucky that we have a compassionate God and we should remember that. That even in judgment, God is compassionate. And thirdly, he says, Ki hu ha-Elohim matachat ein od. Right? The Lord, he is God. And there is no other. There is no other. This is what we have to remember. You see, here's the problem. Here's the thing in, this, in our lovely little, uh, very ecumenical world that we live in right now. Uh, listen, it's okay. You worship God, I'll worship mine. Maybe we can all get together and have a party. And, uh, you know, uh, who was I discussing this with? I was discussing with somebody. And they were asking me about some of these other gods. You know, I guess they have this very liberal attitude about spiritual people. You know, there are lots of spiritual people in the world. And they worship this, or they worship that, or they worship nothing. I mean, worship flower petals, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, there is no one but him. There is no one. The Lord, Adonai, who? Elohim. That's it. And until and unless we can acknowledge that, until the world can acknowledge this reality, all those other things that Paul speaks about in his discourse there in chapter 1 of Romans will remain in play. Because we cannot live apart from the direction of God because he provides all these things. And this is how he has made the world work. It's sort of like, okay, uh, you, you go to play a game. Think about going to play. I'm going to try and use an illustration. You go to play a game. Ah, you're going to play football. But you decide, I don't like American football as much as I like Australian football, so I'm just going to do this. I'm going to pick the ball up and run this way, or I'm going to kick it over here. I'm gonna... You're playing by the wrong set of rules, and guess what's going to happen? You know, Lawrence Taylor is going to come and crush your bones or something, essentially. You're not playing by the rules, you know. It's going to, it's going to hurt. And that's the way we play the, the, the life game. God has created a universe that works in particular ways. He has given us ways for blessing and for hope. And yet we insist on playing by our own rules. And we keep messing up the game. And then we want to know why the world is more violent now than it's ever been. We want to know why our children are as goofier now. Has, can anybody explain to me why and I'm very serious about it. This is a very serious problem in our world today. Uh, and I have good friends who have suffered from this. And why, one, what is, what's the statistic with autistic children? It's like one in a couple of hundred or something like that. We're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong that our children are suffering in this way. There's something going on, people. 
with our environment or our way we treat medicine. I don't know. But that's what happens when we do it by our rules. We just, hey, God says, listen, I'll give you over to what you want. You want to do that? Go ahead and do it. And then see what happens. Then you'll call out to me in that time. You see, God reminds, Moses reminds the children of Israel in this portion that, you know, it's going to, all these things are going to happen to you. And then in that day, you were going to call out to me. And guess what? God will come to the rescue when they're ready to turn their hearts over completely to him. And I hope that happens for our world. I hope we get to the place where we just have no other recourse but to call out to the living God. And I know that he will rescue this world. And we just have to hang in there with these three things in mind. That our God is a consuming fire, but compassionate. And he's the only one. And we show people how that looks. Then we will make a difference in the world. You see, when things get so bad... From there, you will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and soul. The world will find him. Israel will find him. Our people will find him. And maybe if you need it, you will find him when you search with all of your heart. Then, our last one. So here's God's last word to the children. Speaking of the commandments that God has given to us for our blessing. That's what the Torah is about. If you don't know what the Torah says, read it. Don't get all hung up on Leviticus and, you know, slaughtering animals and all of that stuff. That was for another time. But there is so much more in the Torah that we need to understand. So if you keep them and do them, that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes today. And they will say, in other words, if we listen, this is what I want for us as, the, as believers in Messiah Yeshua. For all believers, because I told you earlier, God is a punchline. Yeshua's name is a punchline in the world. And that makes me so angry. Why? Because we made him look like a fool. Let's face it. With all the silliness that we portray, the lack of intellect that we use in approaching a problem. Hitting, you know, listen, let me rant for one second. Folks, if you walk up to a person who doesn't believe in the word of God and you try to hit him over the head with the word of God, guess what? He's just going to throw it back in your face. Why do that? It's a waste of time. It'd be like a guy walking to me up with a Spider-Man comic and asking me to believe it. No, instead, we have to demonstrate in our lives the way in which the body of Messiah lives in the power that we demonstrate through him, through the Holy Spirit, that our way is a better way. That will win. That will convince. He says, look, so keep them and do them. That's your wisdom. Your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear and see these statutes today. And they will say, they will say, you won't have to say anything to them. They will say, surely this great nation is wise 
and understanding people. That's how it works. We live in accordance with God's will. And they will say, there's wisdom there. We will go with you, for we know that God is with you. Let's live that way today. Amen.